0: Oh, excellent. All right, good morning. Have you guys had a great week? What a great week of remembrance, right? Think about it that way. What a great week of remembrance. We remembered, right, the sacrifice of the sun on Easter for our sins. And we remembered my first Anzac Day in Australia. We remembered, right, the sacrifice of so many soldiers. For our freedom. What a great week of remembrance for each one of us. Hope you had a great week. Hope it was a, a good time. A celebration. A good time with family. Um, if you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's see if I can do this. There we go. Ephesians chapter 4. Now one of the things if some of you know if some of you don't know, I, I worked as a manager of a restaurant for about seven years, and i, I had the um, the benefit of working for two different owners and the very interesting difference between those two owners um, one of the owners, the original owner and, and both were good guys by the way so don't 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 misunderstand me. Um, they both had different philosophies of business as uh, as you could say um, but the original owner, he, he believed that you needed to do special programs to get people in the doors. You needed to have big signs, flashy gimmicks. You needed to have like daddy-daughter date nights. Or um, you'd have uh, mama-son um, fun times and have basically things for, to draw people into the restaurant. And we'd have these gimmicks. We'd have um, those bounce houses. You'd have those bounce houses in Australia where kids go and they jump and have those outside. And we'd have, you know, we'd hire a police guy to come and so the kids could see the police car. You do all these things to try to, these, these programs, these, these uh, gimmicks to try to get people in the doors. And, you know, for those nights, it may have worked. The long term, it did nothing to increase the sales, increase the, the traffic flow in the, in the restaurant itself. And we tr- he tried fad after fad and gimmick after gimmick, and, and they didn't work, right? It entices people for a moment, and then they fade away. And so it was interesting, um, you know, in the course of trying to talk to him about that, his philosophy and mine didn't, didn't agree, but I submitted to his, his authority. He's the owner. I did what he asked me to do and ran the restaurant the way he wanted me to run it. Well, after about three years, he decided he'd, he'd had enough. He wanted to go back to where he was originally from and move back and took over a restaurant there. And I got a new owner. And the new owner, the first thing he did is we had a great conversation and he shelved all of those gimmicks, all of those fads. He said, look, we're going to concentrate on what we do best. We're going to concentrate on having good quality food. We're going to concentrate on service. He brought up the morale of the employees by said, all right, well, we're going to develop a culture, and he looked at me and said, I want you to develop that culture, a culture of servant. Basically, where everybody is, we're a team, but we're servants, and we had to call that servant-minded teamwork, right? So we we developed that culture, and then we developed a culture of trying to serve the number one most important person, and that's the guests that come into the restaurant, right? So we focused on what really mattered, and that was the people. Uh, We and I, it, was, it was great because I got to hire people. I had a heart for service, and I, and I oriented my, my training that way. But we grew that restaurant over 120% in four years. We doubled our sales in three years, and then grew another 20% last year in this restaurant. And so one of the things that we emphasized, are the things that we emphasized, were the people themselves. You know, for for a lot of churches, it's all about the gimmick, right? You go into churches and there's lights, there's camera, there's action, but there's very little Bible. Right? There's there's smoke, but there's no fire. Right? There's there's a lot of great singing, but very little theological basis. You see, it's it's like this in the evangelical world, both here in Australia. You got famous churches, which I'm not even going to have to name their names, and you immediately know who they are. And there's churches like this in America, just the same. It's all about the programs to get people in. I had this conversation with a friend of ours. Her daughter started going to this particular church in the town that we lived in. And she asked the youth minister there, she said, or she, sorry, the lady I was talking to it was her daughter. She asked the youth minister, she said, well, you guys, going to go through a particular book of the bible or are you going to study and he said well we're going to do some different things and we're going to talk about different issues that youth face and she said okay okay that, that's great but what are you going to do what are you studying and he goes well we, we we do look at the bible occasionally and she goes oh okay and and she said well well how does that work and he goes well the way we look at it is our job is to get people in the doors We try to get them saved, and we know they're probably only going to be here about three years. And then they'll move on, and they'll want some depth of teaching, and they'll go somewhere else. To me, that's an admission of, of failure. And it's a misunderstanding of the church, right? Believers, we don't have to try to figure it out. We don't have to figure church out. We don't have to figure out what we're supposed to do. Brother, we've been looking at what it means to live a worthy walk. The sermon title this morning would be A Worthy Walk Part 2, or Part 2, or Church 101. Right? We've talked about the aspects of a worthy walk in our previous sermon I did a few weeks ago. We talked about how the, we should live humble lives, and the, that humility, the characteristics that we should live built on each other in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 ultimately culminating with a unity of the Holy Spirit that's produced in us as a body corporate, right? So we live lives as a corporate body guarding, preserving the unity that's produced by the Holy Spirit as Josh, uh, excuse me, as Jordan so aptly mentioned this morning. And then he says in verses 4 through 6 that that unity is built on the foundation of the Word of God, the same belief that we all hold, And so we, this morning, are going to look at the other parts to what it means to have a worthy walk within the body of Christ. We're going to look at the gifts of a worthy walk in verses 7 through 11, and we're going to look at the goal of a worthy walk in verses 12 through 16. We're going to see Christ's pattern for church growth, okay? So just remember, as we're studying this worthy walk, He's talking about our walk as individuals, but how it works out in a corporate setting, right? It, the idea, and this is, this is uh, very popular in Western cultures, especially in America, is that we're individuals. I've even heard people say, I say, what, what church do you go to? And he goes, oh, it's just me and Jesus, right? That's not God's design, right? We're designed to live out the Christian life within the body. That's God's purpose, His design. And we're going to see, not only that borne out here in a few minutes, we're going to see God's plan, Christ's plan for the church. So let's go ahead and look at the text, and then we'll dig into it this morning. Okay, so verse 7 of chapter 4 of Ephesians. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when He ascended on high, He led captive a host of captives, And he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself. Also he who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain the unity of the faith, And the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted, and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So the first aspect this morning, or the first part I want to look at, is we're going to be looking at gifts for a worthy walk. Gifts for the worthy walk. Look down in verse 7 for me. It says right here, it says, But to each one of us grace was given, according to the measure of Christ's gift. If you remember in verses 4 through 6, Paul, uh, Paul has just said that like, the basis of our worthy walk, the basis of our faith is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And then he says, but, but then he continues that, he says that each one of us, he's emphasizing the unity, but then he breaks it down and he says, each one of us individually, so there's diversity. Each one of us has been given a gift according to the measure of Christ's gift, according to the measure of God's grace. So in other words, you've been, giving, you've been given a grace gift or a spiritual gift to be used in the body. Right? The word for grace is charis. Right? Charismata is the grace gift. So we get our word charismatics. So in one sense, we are charismatic that we have a gift of, of the Holy Spirit. What's interesting and what's often misunderstood here is that we have been given, each one of us individually, you've been giving, given a gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? In verse 7 he says, each one of us was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. That gift is singular. Right? We, we often think of spiritual gifts and we think of, we have multiple gifts, but you have one gift of the Spirit. Ephesians 4 actually says it's the same singular term in the Greek. We have one gift, all right? But the great thing about that is there's great diversity. There's many variations within that gift, okay? And I want to make sure you're tracking with me, all right? So when it comes to a spiritual gift, it's like when I took my kids to get ice cream at Semaphore Beach. It's a tradition in our family. You go to the beach, you get ice cream, right? It's nothing like a hot day, cold ice cream, Right? So I got the kids the rainbow sherbet, right? the wonderful, messy rainbow sherbet. It's blue, and it's green, and it's orange, and it's yellow, and it's purple. right? And guess what? When she scoops the scoop out, she puts it on the cone, hands it to my daughter, and then she hands one to my son. The cones, even though it's the same rainbow sherbet, there's all those variations of color right, and flavor. And those two cones are not exactly alike. That is the idea, that is a great picture of how we are gifted by the Spirit, right? There's different categories and varieties of gift, but we all have different portions of those gifts. Imagine if every one of the teachers that were in this congregation, all of us were exactly the same. cookie cutter. I'll just sit down, Steve comes up, he finishes, Peter comes up the next day, Alex, right? Jordan, what a boring time that would be, right? We're all the same. no. We all have variations, right? And to give you guys an idea of what those variations are, a great passage for this is Romans chapter 12. Right? There's the gift of prophecy. Now, this is the ability to, to receive direct application or direct word from God and reply to that revelation that's no longer needed nowadays. We have the word of God. There's the gift of service. We're able to identify and care for the physical needs of the body. There's the gift of there, there's, when I say the gift, these are the varieties of the gifts. There's gift of the teaching, able to explain and apply God's word. There's exhortation, you're able to motivate others to respond to the truth in counsel and encouragement and comfort. There's there's mercy, you can deeply empathize with people who, who, who need compassion, who are suffering. There's knowledge, ability to discover, analyze, and systematize truth. There's giving. You're able to contribute financially and sacrificially in a material way to the building of the kingdom. There's leadership. Discern God's purpose. Motivate. Set goals. Communicate. Delegate. There's wisdom. Ability to apply God's word to specific situations. There's faith. Ability to have a, a vision for what God wants to be done and believe it will happen. There's discernment. Quickly understand truth from error there's then there's healings miracles and tongues which aren't in effect today because we have the full canon of the word of god and those aspects or those varieties of gifts were to uh, validate the teaching of the early church so you get all those different varieties of gifts we all have different variations of that so within the unity of the body of christ there is great diversity praise god right that you know what? I, I have a gift of teaching. Gift gift of leadership. I have some of gift of mercy or discernment. Right? Praise the Lord. I don't have to go to somebody like I don't have any discernment. Benji, is this is this true or error? I can't tell. I need the, the guy who has the gift of discernment. Benji goes, I don't know. I don't have the gift of knowledge. We had to go over here to Alex. Alex, teach us first. Right? It doesn't we all have one gift, but it's been molded and and shaped individually for us, according to the measure of Christ. And the the word here in the Greek is the measure, is the, the bountiful grace of Christ according to how he distributes. It's not just out of Christ, uh, just simple distributing, it's out of his his riches. He's given us this gift. Right? If I have twelve million dollars and I and I give Greg, $12, that's not really out of my riches, right? If I have $12 million. But if I give him a million dollars, hey, that's, that's pretty good. That's out of my riches. That's the idea, is that God, Christ, God in Christ has given us his bountiful grace. And he's done it in the form of a spiritual gift. So God, when he wants us to walk worthy, and he does, as, as Peter, sorry, as Paul has, has challenged us, has exhorted us, he doesn't leave us on us on our own. Not only does He indwell us by His Holy Spirit, He powers us to live a life glorifying Him within the body, but He also gives us a gift for use in the body of Christ. There is no individual spiritual gift that you are to use on your own. Right? My charismatic friends will say, Oh, we... You have the gift of tongues. I go into my prayer closet and I speak the gift of tongues to myself. That's not a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift is to be used in the body itself. It's not a natural talent. Right? Now, Peter has a natural talent for the visual arts. He does some amazing things. Website stuff. It's his company. He's like waving over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you, wanted, if you need some stuff, by the way, for your business, see Peter. So Peter does great stuff. That's a natural talent. It's not a spiritual gift. Now, he uses that natural talent for God's glory. He makes a living off of it. He uses it in the church. We've benefited from that. That's not a, that's not a spiritual gift, right? So, God has gifted us. He's not left us alone to, to live in the body together without help, right? So, he's given us this gift. 1 Peter chapter 4 says, As each one of us has received a special gift. We employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Right? You know what it is about a steward? A steward is someone who, the the owner of a company or the owner of a house, he could entrust with his most prized possessions. Often that was his family. And he could entrust him, what? To take care of his things. To take care of his family. We are stewards of God's grace. We are stewards of the gift He's given us. We're to use it within the body of christ to build each other up to serve each other to the glory of god and we're going to see more about that in a minute so paul paul lays that out first of all just kind of throws it out there and he says look there's gifts for a worthy walk you've each received a gift praise the lord but then he kind of goes off on a tangent paul has a tendency to do that he goes off on a tangent has a little parentheses in verses 8 through 11 and he talks about how christ is worthy to give gifts in case you didn't realize it, oh, well, God gives you a gift. Well, is Christ worthy to give gifts? Well, Paul, you can imagine his mind, just praising the Lord and go, oh, you're worthy to give gifts. And he goes through and he talks about how worthy Christ really is. Look down at verse 8. He says, therefore it says, and he's quoting Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, this is Paul's Exegesis explanation of that passage. He ascended, what does it mean, except he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is himself, also he who ascended far above all heavens, so that he might feel all things. So the background of Psalm 68, this is a picture of God in his victorious nature as he's, as he's won a great victory. He's heading up in a procession up the hill to Mount Zion, right? The top of Mount Zion is the temple. That's where it was built, the Temple Mount, right? It's the highest point overlooking Jerusalem. God has won a great victory. He's coming in the gates of Jerusalem. They're celebrating as they're marching up. With that picture, when a king would have a great victory, he would what? He would have spoils of war and they would be prisoners. And he would lead those up. One of the things he would have, not only would he have spoils that he would distribute to the people, but he would also have all of the captives freed. In other words, he would have all of the Israelite soldiers that had been captured, captured by the enemy in the train behind him. And so there would be a procession and there would be a celebration in which we get to the top. He would give out gifts and he would also have all the freed prisoners behind him. And what a celebration that would be. If you're an Israelite and your husband or your, your, your father or your son is in that procession and he's freed from captivity, that would be worth praising, right? What a great time of praise that would be. So that's the picture of Psalm 68, of God victorious in battle. By the way, God, God always wins, right? Just in case you didn't realize that. When God goes to, God goes to war, He always wins. But then he says this, and this is Paul's explanation in verse 9. He says, well, how, how does this apply, and why did you bring this in? And you can imagine people, the Ephesians going, why did Paul mention that? Well, Paul says, well, let me tell you why I mentioned that. Verse 9, he says, he, now what does this mean? He said, he ascended, except he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. One thing that you need to realize, or one thing I, got you, I want you guys to get a picture, and you have to excuse my crude drawing. I don't know if you can actually see that. I quickly wrote that in pencil last night. Um, The lower parts of the earth, according to the Old Testament, we don't have great knowledge, we do have a little, but there's the abode of the earth in the lower parts of Sheol. And this is where the dead would go pre-Christ, right? There's two sections to Sheol. There's the top and the bottom. The top is for the righteous. The bottom is for the unrighteous. The bottom is called Tardis or the abyss or the pit. So you'll see that reference different times in Scripture. Okay, we know there's a great chasm that is fixed. Luke 16 tells us that, right? Okay, the top is also called paradise or Abraham's bosom. And this is where the dead in Christ would go pre-Christ, all right? If you died, you were a righteous saint, you would go into Abraham's bosom or paradise. And it would be a great experience, right? We don't have a lot of information, right? And then if you were unrighteous... You would go into Tardis, or you would go into the pit, the lower part of the earth. But one thing about the lower part of the earth, or the abyss, is you had bound demons. Demons in chains waiting for judgment in the bottom of the abyss. All right? Now, just you guys, from a, from a supernatural standpoint, there's only two forces in this world. There's the force of God, the forces of Satan, Right there's angels and then fallen angels, angels who rebelled against God. They're called demons. Right? Okay. We have freed demons that are around us now. Jesus confronts some in Matthew 29. Sorry, Matthew 8:29, and they actually say, "Jesus, are you here to torment us before the appointed time?" So that we know there's demonic activity in this world. Right? Ephesians 6 actually says that our battle. Let me turn there actually. Ephesians 6.12 For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So there's free demons that are, that are active in this world today. Right? They oppose God's kingdom, oppose His church. Right? But then there's another class of demons, another set of demons that are bound in the abyss. Why are they abound there? Excuse me, why are they bound there? Second Peter chapter two verse four gives us gives us a little bit of information. Second Peter chapter two verse four says that for God did not spare angels when they sinned. When angels sin, they become demons, but ye cast them into hell, or the word here is actually TARDIS, cast them into TARDIS, and he committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. Jude chapter 6, okay? Sorry, Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter. Verse 6, And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for judgment on the great day. So we know there's a set of demons that are in bondage, that are in the abyss, that are set aside. And that brings us to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4. It's a great passage. All right? 1 Peter chapter 4. Sorry, chapter 3, I apologize. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which also He went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who were once disobedient when the patience of Noah kept waiting in the, I mean, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely to, through the water. Right. Skip down to verse 22. And at the right hand of God, sorry, Jesus who had the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to him. So we know there's, these spirits are angels, and we know they're bound in the abyss. For some reason, it goes back to Genesis chapter 6. This is a great, great study. Uh, If you guys have any questions, Alex would love to help you. He spent a lot of time researching this. He was going to teach you. He got held up at work. So he has all this information he'd love to go through with you. You can see him afterwards. This is a great study. Genesis chapter 6. When the sons of God, it says in Genesis 6, the sons of God. In fact, let me just turn there. Instead of trying to summarize it, I'll turn there so you guys can see this in all its glory. Now it came about, Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves whenever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not strive with man forever, because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterwards, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men of old, the men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the faults of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved. And I will blot out whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So these chain demons were guilty of going and leaving their proper abode, cohabitating with earthly women, and having kids for the purpose of polluting the line. Right? God has already promised in Genesis chapter three that the seed from woman would crush the head of Satan. Right? If you're if I was Satan, and I'm not then the, one of the things I would want to do is pollute that line. And I don't know how Satan did it, but he, he enticed, he deceived, whatever he did, he got certain demons to go and leave their proper abode and try to pollute the line. God, in turn, judged them, and they're set aside in eternal chains in darkness, okay? Now, it's a lot. See, Paul's assuming that his readers already had that base knowledge and they would understand it. For us, living 2,000 years later, we kind of have to drop down in the world and make sure that we understand the background of what he's talking about. So, what, what was it that Christ did? How, how was Christ worthy? And what in the world is Paul doing bringing up this passage when he's talking about gifts? Well, look down at verse 10. He said, He descended himself... Sorry, verse eleven. Oh, sorry, verse ten. He ascended himself far above the heavens, so that he might fill all things. When Christ died, have you ever wondered what happened to Christ when he died on the cross? Those three days, he went what he descended to the lower parts of the earth. He descended to the bottom, to the abyss. And what did he do? First Peter says he made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. He made a proclamation that though they thought that. His death was a defeat for Him. He made proclamation that His death was in fact a victory. He proclaimed that they had lost and He had won. In the predetermined plan of God, Jesus died and the sins of men would be forgiven. And what He did, when He came up, He opened up the top of Sheol and He brought all of the righteous saints from all time to the presence of the Father. He brought all of the captives that were captive in Sheol, He brought them free. He set them loose and brought them into His presence. Paul says that to be absent from the body here on this earth is to be present with the Lord. When we die, saints, this side of the cross, we go immediately into the presence of God based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. The saints that were in the Old Testament that were righteous were waiting for the sacrifice of the Son. So when Christ ascended to heaven, He opened up Sheol and He brought the righteous with Him. Right? Now we know that the unrighteous will remain there in the pit for the final judgment. They'll stand before the great white throne in Revelation 19 and then they will be thrown alive with resurrected bodies to be tormented in the lake of fire for all eternity. Revelation 19. Okay? So, Paul's assuming his readers understand these basic things. What a praise! So, is Christ worthy to give out gifts? Yes! He has victory over sin, over hell, over Satan, over death. And he has set the captives free. Guys, imagine if the queen rewarded you guys with knighthood. Now, she could reward me with honorary knighthood. I'm a U.S. American citizen. So I can't actually go by the title Sir, but British Commonwealth uh, individuals, citizens can. So you could have Sir Jordan over there. I couldn't be Sir. I could be honorary, uh, right? Now, is she, does she have the ability to bestow those titles? Yes, because of her exalted position. Christ has the ability to give gifts because of his exalted position at the right hand of the Father. As we went through last week in Acts chapter 2, Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father. So so Christ is giving everyone a gift for the the sake of the body and He's done it because He's worthy. And let's continue. And then not only does He give the body each individual person gifts, but He says in verse 11, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ. Right? So the other gift... Or the other gift that God, that Christ is giving the church, right? We don't have to figure it out. Remember, I said that at the beginning? We don't have to wonder, how do we do church? He has given gifted men, he's given apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers. Praise, praise the Lord for the work of the apostles. We have the word of God because of the apostles and the prophets, right? They're no longer in effect today. To be an apostle, you had to you have seen the risen Lord. Right? You had to be affirmed by other apostles. You had to do the signs and wonders of an apostle. And you had to be part of laying the foundation of the church. There are no apostles today. So if you see a sign on church saying, Apostle so-and-so, he's not a real apostle. Right? You had to be commissioned by the Lord, seen the Lord uh, resurrected. You had to be affirmed by the other apostles. I'm sorry, the first century apostles are dead. And then you had to help lay the foundation of the church. So, But praise the Lord for the apostles and their work, or we wouldn't have the Word of God. Praise the Lord for the prophets. They received direct revelation. Revelation 22, verse 21 says, if anybody adds into this work, if anybody adds to God's Word, all the curses written in the book of Revelation will be applied to them. Right? I don't want to add anything. Evangelist, evangelists, evangelists of those who are sent out by the church to go and proclaim the gospel, to do church planning. To there, There's people who are gifted with evangelism here. They go out and they're in their daily lives and they share the gospel, right? Not us, us all individually to do the work of evangelists in the sense that we share the gospel with people we come into contact. With, but these are people God has gifted especially for that ministry. They love it. Whether it's prison ministry or women's ministry or whether it's it's uh, it's children's ministry, but going out and trying to reach the lost. OK, and then that leads us to pastor teachers. Pastors or teachers are focused on the inside life of the body. They feed and they lead. Right. Praise the Lord for pastors and teachers. I praise the Lord for the men that God put in my life. Praise the Lord that when I was a young buck, a young little lamb, that God sent and provided godly men who would teach me the word of God. Praise the Lord for the men that I had a chance to study from in seminary. Lives of godliness. Great depth of teaching. Praise the Lord for the pastors and teachers that God has sent. Do you realize that God has sent godly men? Praise the Lord for Jeff. Right? Over 16 years of ministry, ministering to you guys the Word of God, helping you to grow. People always ask, are you going to try to fill Jeff's shoes? No, because he's taking them with him. I can't feel Sorry. Praise the Lord for godly men. This is God, this is Christ's gift to you. You don't have to figure it out. Right? Imagine if if we, there was no men, or there there's no leaders that God provided and we were all new believers and we're trying to all, we're, we're, it's like the blind leading the blind. Right? What do you think about this? I don't know. What do you think about this? I don't know. Let's go read. What does this mean? Right. Praise the Lord God is, Christ is giving given gifts to his church as a whole he's given us godly men it's like swimming right my son we you don't just throw him in the pool woo, throw him in the pool and he's he's trying to swim it sinks to the bottom right i wouldn't do that right now when i learned how to swim my, my parents got me lessons and i learned how to swim just a little bit Right, you you learn to doggy paddle, and then you kick, and then you use your use your strokes, and then you put it all together, and there you're swimming. Praise the Lord. And now I, I can get into the water and swim, and I'm confident. Right? Praise the Lord for instructors. God has given godly men to the church. Right? It's emphatic. He says that he he himself gave. Right, and he did it. For specific reasons. So we have the gifts of a worthy walk, and now we have the goal of the worthy walk. There's only two points. Make it easy for you guys. The the gifts of a worthy walk and the goal. And the goal is found in verse 12 for the equipping of the saints for the work of the service to the building up of the body of Christ. To equip. You guys ever been on a, a, a like a a journey in the sense of a you go hiking or you camping. Right, when I had the privilege when I was a teenager to go to a place called Philmont Scout Range. I was part of the Boy Scouts of America. And one of the things we had to do is we had to, to not only train ourselves, we had to pack in everything that we could possibly need for this journey. We had to equip ourselves, pots and pans and tents and food, right? And then we hiked for about three weeks. Uh, Philmont Scout Range is about 180 miles in its in its circumference i guess and you know it's just the largest piece of privately owned property in the united states i don't know how many kilometers that is uh, somebody has to do the math for me it's a huge piece of property and all you do is you hike and you camp by yourselves as a group in the wilderness for three weeks we had i think we hiked over 70 miles during that time great great experience but you better believe we equipped ourselves we were ready for that journey we checked and double checked and triple checked everything that we could possibly need because once you get there, you can't go get it. There's no Target, there's no Kmart. Oh, I forgot this pot. Let's figure it out. Guys, the purpose of godly men, the purpose of these gifts is to equip the saints. The idea here is setting bones. A broken bone, you set the bone so it heals. Or the actually the word picture is mending a net. A net is torn. You mend that net, you fix it, you get it ready so that you can use it the next time you want to go fishing. And you, so you equip the saints, you get them ready for the work or service. It's service to the Lord's people as a whole. Right? You're serving the Lord. Brethren, as a pastor and elders, we... we can't do all the work in the church, right? If you, if you as as a congregation, if you as the as the as the, um, as the believers of the church think that that we can do it all, there's a lot of things that are going to fall through the cracks. Right? Our job as elders, our job, pastors is to equip you so that you can serve each other, right? So that there's if there's ministry opportunities in the church. You can be equipped to do those things, right? So that you could serve one another. So you see this picture, God's, God's given gifts. Christ has given every one of us a gift so we can use it among each other. And He's done this so we can help, help us to live and have a worthy walk. And, he, and He's gifted us with godly men who are going to equip us, to teach us, to help us to learn and grow so that we can do the work of the service. And it is work at times. For well, what's the purpose? He said that the goal... The purpose of the gifted, the gifted man is for the building up of the body, right? You can also go to Alex later and talk to him about what it means to build a house, right? Framing and the construction and the foundation. And you add the siding and you add the insulation and, and then you add the roof and then you add the, what? The walls and the inside, right? And that's as far as I can go because I've never built a house. But Alex, Josh, we'd be glad to help you with that. Later you can talk to him. So... The building up of a body, the picture here is, is, is a house that's being built slowly, piece by piece. Right? That's the goal. It's the, the focus of, of leadership in the church. Right? So the goal, goal of a worthy walk is and the purpose is, is lines up with the purpose of gifted men. And the goal of those gifted men is look in verse 13. Let's keep going. Till we've all achieved the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man through the measure and the stature which is the fullness of Christ. So the goal of these gifted men, the purpose is so that they can equip the saints for the work of the service to the building up of the body. But the goal is so that what? We can have the unity of the faith. We can have a a pure and full understanding of the gospel. Right? You understand the gospel in in its fullest form is that we understand we were created in God's image. Right? Right? We were created perfect, but man rebelled. And as a result, we are all born into sin. That's our condition. So we're sinners. And because of that sinful state, nothing we do is pleasing to God. We're actually under judgment. And we're condemned to hell. We're condemned to eternity apart from Jesus Christ. We're born that way. He doesn't teach my son to lie. He's, he's almost six. He started doing it at two. Right? I thought it would be longer, but it wasn't. So, we're born that way. It's our condition, right? And then we need salvation from our condition. And we can't do it on our own. If we could do it on our own, then we could earn that righteousness. Righteousness is right works and right standing before the Lord. We're all sinners. We're born that way. Everything we do is tainted by sin. But Christ died on the cross so that if we believe in Him, we confess Our sins, we repent, we turn the opposite direction. We believe that Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for our sins. He is a sacrifice. If we place our faith and our trust in Him, then we have forgiveness of sins and cleansing from all unrighteousness. He's given us His righteousness. So that all all the guilt, all the judgment that we were due because of our sinful state was poured upon the Son. We don't have to worry about that. We have freedom from God's judgment. And then our eternal destiny, apart from Christ, our eternal destiny is forever away from God's presence, ultimately in the lake of fire. And, but our eternal destiny, for those of us that believe in Christ, is eternity with Him. Okay, The full aspect of the gospel, to know that in its greatest sense, and then attain the knowledge of the Son of God. It's interesting the word here for knowledge is Gnosco. It has to know by experience. Right, do you realize you can know God by revelation? Right? The demons know God by revelation. Right? Demons have perfect theology. Right? James says, you believe, well you do well, but the demons also believe. The demons believe in Jesus Christ. They know exactly who He is. They're not going to submit to Him as Lord. So, you understand God by experience. Not just revelation, but you understand Him in a relationship. Every day as you submit to Him, you see the wondrous faithfulness of God, how He works in your life. What a praise that is. And then the the goal ultimately is maturity, right? Conformity to the image of Christ. Think about, I was reading an article about the, the farmers here in Australia and Queensland and New South Wales, about how this is a huge drought, Right? They say it's a, a once-in-a-lifetime drought. It's, in certain places, it's lasted one to seven years. And they're, they're really struggling right now with just a, a dry, arid condition. You know, so many churches that you go into, there is no preaching and teaching of the Word of God. The people in those churches are in a drought, and they're they're thirsting for the Word of God. They are not being equipped... They're not growing in their knowledge of the Son of God. They're not growing in the unity of faith. And they are not growing to maturity. So the goal of a worthy walk, God gives gifted men for us so that we can be mature. Let's keep going. Let's look at the last part, 14 through 16. He says, as a result, you are no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. So I'll stop there for a second. So the results of that maturity is that we're no longer infants. I love this because I love, I love the ocean, I love sea, I love boats. And he says that you're, you're, you're no longer tossed here and there by waves and carried about by winds of doctrine. As for those of you who've ever been on a boat and you've ever, ever been on a, a boat when you get a little bit of wind and the waves start kind of crashing and you kind of have to turn the bow of the, of the boat into the waves, otherwise they, they splash over the, the side or they even can, can capsize you. Um, one thing I love to do, I don't know why I love to do it, but I love to, love to go on YouTube and I love to look at those um, the, the giant wave videos. <laughs> Don't ask me why. I think the real reason is I love to watch those videos because I love to see just the, the power of, of God's creation. And, it, and if those waves, you're talking about 40, 50, 60, 100-foot waves crashing over these ships or crashing in the lighthouses, and if you imagine all that power that's in that wave, and that's just a small, a small minuscule fraction of the power of God. I like to look at those huge waves, and when I was thinking about those waves, as I was thinking about this picture here, instead of being a, a, a little infant tossed here and there by every little thing, you're a mature believer. For those of you that have kids um, like about my age, and I remember when I was a kid about that age, every commercial that comes on TV, you're like, "Dada, I want that! I want that! Legos! I want the Legos! Oh, the Transformers, the GI Joe! Ooh, uh, my my sister, My Little Pony." You know, He-Man, I'm showing my age. You know, all those things coming on TV. I want this, I want it, I want it. It's every little thing. Maturity helps us not to be unstable. And indeciphered. that's the goal of these gifted men. It's the goal of Christ's gifts. He wants us to have understanding. And He doesn't want us to be led astray by false teaching. Right? Every wind of doctrine. Notice it says every wind. Every little thing that comes along, an immature believer without... Proper instruction is led astray. How many new believers, how many young believers have you heard, they, they love the novel stuff. You know, I was talking to Alex about a guy and he, and he loves the book of Enoch. You know, it's every novel little thing, everything that entices their mind, because they all want to seem like, they all want to feel special. And they all want to feel like they're intellectual, like, oh, you know, I found something new. Guys, the Word of God, people have been studying the Word of God for over 2,000 years. You're not going to find anything new. You find something new, it's, it's wrong. It's pretty simple, right? This is the once and all faith delivered to the saints for all time, right? Guys, one of my one of my dear dear friends, the elder at the last church, um, we were going through Second Peter, and he coined a phrase as we were talking about Second Peter. And in Second Peter chapter two, it talks about false teachers, and it says in Second Peter chapter two that they were secretly introduced destructive heresies, right? They would even deny the master who bought them. They would bring swift destruction upon themselves. But they were secretly introduce destructive heresies. He coined the term, and I loved it. And if, you're, and if you listen to this, Kelly, I appreciate it. He called them smugglers of falsehood. What a picture. They enter into the tr- church secretly introducing heresies. And they're, they're smuggling in falsehood to try to lead the weak astray. And that's the goal of what? Pastors and shepherds and teachers is to guard the flock against error, to help to help you guys grow in your maturity, so that when you see and hear something counterfeit, you can go, that doesn't line up with the truth. So they're they're crafty and they use deceitful scheming. They have plans. You guys, you ever talked to any Jehovah's Witnesses? Anybody, everybody 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 ever talked to one? Right, my aunt was a Jehovah's Witness. So I got to experience some great conversations with her. Do you know that when Jehovah's Witnesses get together, they don't get together in a worship service? One of the things they spend a large amount of their time doing is they get together and they practice arguing. They practice arguing with people who pretend to be Weak Christians. They wouldn't call them weak Christians. And one of, the re- one of the things that Jehovah's Witnesses do, they love to knock on people's doors, and the people say they're Christians, they immediately start attacking them, and they've been practicing on how to do it. Right? They're looking for unstable, immature believers. Right? Their primary means of gaining converts is not to go out and, quote-unquote, evangelize people who don't know about the JWs. They go after people who were grown up in church. Right? That's what that's what cults do. Right? You Satan's greatest scheme is to combine a bit of truth with error. It sounds pretty good. Ah, is it right? I'm not sure. He wants to play upon that not sure. Right? But that is why Christ is giving gifts to his church. And then, guys, he says, Look, we're not tossed about like infants. We speak the truth in love. The word here is truthing. You guys know what truthers are? That's kind of an American thing. They, they believe there's a conspiracy behind everything from 9 11 to Columbine. Everything's, a, there's a conspiracy behind it. They're called truthers, right? Well, the word here in Greek is truthing. In other words, you're living a life of action and speech that is permeating the truth. You ever been around somebody who eats a lot of garlic, right? Somebody who eats a lot of garlic. It kind of oozes out their pores. You get in the elevator, you can get, somebody had garlic for lunch, right? It kind of oozes out. They sweat garlic, right? I had that experience one time. It was very pleasant. i never forget, right? You eat a lot of garlic. Well, the idea here is that we're oozing out truth. Our life is, is truth. Our words are truth. We're speaking the truth in love. You know, you know the greatest hindrances to evangelism? There's two things. Greatest hindrance to evangelism. We don't speak the truth. And we don't do it in love. Just because you have the truth doesn't mean you get to, what? Hurt and injure others. We used to call those guys in seminary bazookas. You know what a bazooka is? Put it on your shoulder, you fire a rocket, you launch it and you destroy anything in your path. Right? You guys, we're we're not talking about you sit a bazooka of truth on your shoulder and just fire and you blow people away without considering who they are, considering their, their feelings. Considering that who <clears throat> excuse me, tried to injure them, right? So when you share the gospel, you do it in love. When you're when you're speaking the truth in love to each other, you do it, you speak the truth, but you do it in love. And then we're to grow in all things into the head. So our goal is the growth of the church. Look down in verse 16 for me. It says, from the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building of itself in love. So this is church growth, right? We walk worthy of our calling. We live humble lives, right? We, we protect the unity of the body based on the foundation of the truth. We've been given a gift for service to the body. We've been given... As a church, we've been given gifted leaders to help us grow and mature, to equip us to serve others, and to go out into the world and share the gospel, speaking the truth in love. And guess what? Christ causes the growth. He causes the growth by how we live our lives. Right? Christ causes the growth. It's not about gimmicks. It's not about flashy fads and programs. It's about a faithfulness to the Word of God as the central foundation of our lives. We can't be truthing if we don't know the Word of God. If we're not equipped, we can't serve. If we're not equipped, we can't go out into the world and share the Gospel. We don't know who Christ is. Revelatory ways, in other words, from His Word, we don't know who He is by experience, and we we definitely can't walk worthy. Right? All that about the joints and being fitted together. It's basically what Christ has done. We're all parts of the same body. Christ is the head. Right? Have you ever thought about the complex nature of the human body? Have you ever thought about it? You have the circulatory system. Cycles blood. You have the, the nervous system. tells every part what to do. Right? You have the skeletal system, which is the structural framework. The muscles make everything move. Right? This, the, the body is complex. Right? It all has to function together properly for us to do our daily tasks. Right? We are one body, brothers and sisters, and we are dependent upon each other for growth. There's no individual Christians. We're all to walk worthy of our calling together. Brothers and sisters, we've seen today... There's gifts for a worthy walk. Praise the Lord. And then there's the goal of a worthy walk, which is maturity. Christ-likeness. brother. this is is the pattern. This is the pattern for the church. As we follow this pattern, Christ produces maturity. We live a lifestyle of truth in love. We love each other. And guess what? Mature adults produce what? Kids. Babies don't produce kids. Mature adults produce kids. Mature believers reproduce themselves. Right? It's not about how many individual people we get to come into the doors and sit. It's about you guys growing in maturity and in Christ likeness. If you're growing in maturity and you're mature believers, then you have confidence to share the gospel with those around you. Right? I can only share gospel. So many people, every day, I come in contact. But exponentially, you can reach that much more. The church will grow as we are faithful to walk worthy of our calling. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, what, what a blessing it is to go to your word. To know that we don't have to figure it all out on our own. Father, what a, what a pattern you've given us what a praise, oh Jesus Christ, that You are worthy to give gifts and that you, You've given us each a spiritual gift to be used for the building up, for the service of the body as a whole. And you've given us not only an individual gift, but You've given gifted leaders. What a praise that is. We think of all the, the gifted men in our lives who helped us to grow over the years and we, we give You praise knowing that they were gifts from You. Lord, I pray that you'd help each one of us individually to walk worthy of our calling. Help us to walk corporately together worthy of our calling. Lord, help us to honor you. Help us to speak and live out the truth in love on a daily basis and how we interact with one another to preserve the unity, but how we interact with unbelievers as we speak the truth of the gospel. Lord, we praise you for this time. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.